welcome to another episode of the Pro Video Coalition PVC News Podcast, our uh, weekly-ish chit-chat about what's been going on the last week in the film, television, video, world, workspace, whatever you want to call it, yada, yada, yada. This is, I think, episode number five, unless I've forgotten one or I've skipped one. Um, Damien's here, Damien Allen. Damien, how's it going? Good, how you doing? I'm doing well. We also have Kenny McMillan with us, who is a uh, regular contributor on PVC and does some awesome videos about some cool products and has been traveling around to a couple of uh, industry events here of late. Kenny, how are you? I'm excellent. Thank you. And you are in, uh, you're in L.A., right? You guys are both in L.A. Yeah. yeah. Nice. Uh, I'm not. I'm in Tennessee, wherever that is. Okay, so the big thing for the week has to be, uh, what is it? It's Adobe, Adobe, all things Adobe, Adobe Max, Adobe Updates, Adobe this, Adobe that. Um, Kenny, you were at Adobe Max. I was. Was it your first time there? No, no. They uh, invited me last year and then uh, again this year. Was it uh, fun? Yeah, it's it's kind of a hard event to... um, describe because it's not really like a conference like you know i've covered you know siggraph and cinegear and those have elements of fun but are generally um work-based whereas max is borderline summer camp where it's like a lot of education but then also a lot of like fun-based networking and whatnot well when you say networking is in and they have a party i think and they had a band who was the band wasn't there like a famous band yeah it's a vampire weekend yeah Vampire Weekend. So that was obviously a big, big deal that cost someone some money because I'm sure Vampire Weekend did not play that for free. But when you say, um, like, what are the stuff there that's different from a regular conference if you were well, an NAB attender, for instance? Because there's, there's, there's the education side, which you can get that at many different places. Sure. Um, the, so their angle seems to be, um, you know, th- so so they've got uh, tons and tons of, of lectures and um, you know, larger uh, talks and like there's even classroom style sessions and those are just wall to wall. There's tons of those going, you know, simultaneously at any given time in many of the rooms in the convention center. Uh, and then there's a pavilion that has all the, um, sponsors set up, you know, like Nvidia and Dell and Samsung, Puget systems, whatever, uh, that also has little areas for, uh, well, those are like the filmy ones, but then there's like, you know, my my favorite designer, Aaron Draplin, had like a, a pop-up. And then there's areas to sit and chat or whatever. Um, so it's kind of, is it kind of a mini, mini expo? F- yeah, expo yeah. Floor? So that's just the pavilion. And then, um, you know, throughout the day, there's, you know, the keynote at the beginning of the day or whatever. But in terms of the, the stuff that's not like NAB or whatever, it's kind of... Um, it's kind of in the way they do the whole thing. So like at five o'clock before around five o'clock on the first day, um, they shut down the pavilion and then bring out all the drinks and food carts. So then everyone, and it's all free. And then you go around and you're just like grabbing drinks and grabbing snacks and just kind of wandering around and talking to the sponsors at their booths or to meeting new people or. Are these um, alcoholic drinks? They are. Are there yes. non-alcoholic drinks? There are. Okay, good. How's the food? Yeah. Is it any good? Uh, you know, it varies, but it generally, it varies between good and pretty good. So, <laughs> okay. but then, uh, yeah. And then at bash, which is the concert, um, that is much more party centric cause they took over 
um, all of Staples Center and LA Live, wow. which uh, for people who don't know, that Staples Center is obviously where the Lakers and the Kings play and all that stuff. And then LA Live is the outdoor chunk of it. Well, that's like a, um, what, 16, 18,000 seat arena. Like, that's a. Oh, way more than that. I mean, there was 15,000 of us in there. Interesting. And we only filled up half of it. So um, now that could be wrong. Someone should fact check me. But there was 15,000 people who at least bought tickets to max, you know, that's just the number they kept throwing out. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Speaking of, they have money like, uh, Staples center, all of the food vendors, you know, dog house or, or blaze pizza or, you know, whatever, all of them were open and just had like smaller portions that you just walk up and grab. All the bars were open. You just walk up and get, you know, whatever they were offering. Wow. That's kind of um, cool. Damien, have you ever, you've never been to Max, have you? You know, I've just decided I'm going next year after. Yeah, I know. I'm hey, like, I, I, I do want to, I do want to ask something, you know, in terms of the attendees, you go to something like WWDC, you know, with uh, Apple and it's kind of like, you can't say anything against Apple. Apple can do no wrong. Is, was there like an Adobe fanboy element or was, was everyone sitting around grumbling about their subscription prices? No. <laughs> Uh, no, honestly, like the, the type Adobe really is just the host. Everyone there is more because it's such a very, like Adobe makes whatever, like 16 some odd programs. So, you, you know, if you run into a, you know, an illustrator person or, or, or another filmmaker, photographer, whatever, the, the group is so varied that it's more just people talking about their creative field. Right. And, and less so like that's a bunch of creatives getting together yeah. hanging out D digital it's, hippies it's worth yeah, noting that, that max is not just a video thing it, it is um you know print it is the print stuff it's the design stuff the uh you know every every app they have is represented there in some way for the most part so it's way bigger than in fact i would say the, the video premiere after effects world is probably a tiny fraction of the yeah, overall no, this year especially like this year was it was actually pretty uh subdued which which i in the article i wrote for pro video um kind of brought up that uh it it kind of scared me a little bit because last year it was like premiere rush came out and so that gave me sort of uh. this idea that you know and, and i'm being video centric in my head i see video i think oh it's like you know that must be the main thing but it's like no photoshop probably is right um but uh you know i got an interview with uh, pat palmer of adobe and he assuaged my fears you know premiere's not going anywhere <laughs> Yeah, you know, I think it's probably is a little bit depending on what the product launch is or what the product thing is they've got they've got happening. I mean, you know, one thing, and uh, Jason Levine took the stage as he does every year to um, do great the, guy. Yeah, he, and he, he's he's so fun to watch. He's great, you know, great presence on stage. Um, the auto reframe is a huge, and that was by far the biggest feature thing I think that that's premieres had in quite a while, but obviously was the big thing for that uh, for that event. And uh, yeah, they they showed that at Sneaks last year. That was um, called Project Smooth Operator. Well, I was going to ask, was it last year or year before last? I knew they had showed that in the past, but I couldn't remember when. Yeah, it was last year. So that makes me wonder. I'd like to actually see a uh, Sneaks from the last from the last several years and see when um, you know how many things have kind of, have kind of made it in because this year's Sneaks. Now the one that I really liked, I can't remember the silly name they gave it was the one where it will find your ums and your ahs and you know whatever you define in a piece of audio and it will yeah, find that. all of those times that is said or sounded in a piece of audio and then it in the, you know it's, it's an audio only thing and it can be extracted but i can't imagine that they couldn't add that to the video world at some 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 future endeavor. yeah that that was um <laughs> i have them all written down here because i'm a journalist 
<laughs> that was Wait, uh, Project Soundseek. Soundseek, um, yeah. And I th- I thought that one was pretty interesting. Like I could definitely see the uh, use for it. You know, with me um and just there. But the audio one that that absolutely floored us was uh, let's find it. The awesome audio. Awesome audio. Oh my god, that, that was pretty good. You know, yeah, you know, it's it's hard to know from that one or a couple of examples though, what that thing's really doing. You know, I mean, well, uh, the, I will argue because like I I know I already know where you're going because me and the guy that I was sitting with had the exact same thought like oh this is the best case scenario but but the um, um, the other one the one that finds your your audio uh, he was he was putting very deliberate pauses between each um and each other word yeah whereas with awesome audio he they were you know just normal chunks of speech that i would be used to seeing um any other time you know well i think anytime you see a demo like this or auto reframe and stuff and it always goes without saying and we say it all the time there are the the demos are built they're practiced and they are set up they're always best case scenario things but you know even if you get half of what a demo purports to do in, in some auto magic, amazing technology like that. I'm with the mindset. I'm like, yeah, give me half of that. That's better than what I got now. Which well, is nothing. the only problem though, is something like that, like especially something that does such a, a massive cleanup of your audio. If it does a crappy job or it does a half good job, you can't really go anywhere from there. Right. You can either, you can try and maybe blend it back in, but it's not like you dropped into a parametric EQ and then you can go ahead and, tweak it from there. I mean, that's that's the problem with most of this machine learning stuff. It is a black box. And once it does its job, you don't really have any anywhere to go with the finessing side of things. Well, uh, I, I, mean, I disagree because you could you could have it do half the job and you know say it's super noisy and it and it makes it half less noisy. Well, what would you have normally done to attempt well, to try see, to make it less it noisy do. from the beginning? You can still well, go ahead and process the processing. Yeah, but if it's if it's sucking some of the frequencies out of the voice or something, you know, it's going to take those with the noise and you can't dial back how much it's going to do and that kind of thing. I mean, I, I do think... I assume there'd be variables. I mean, he had it set up as a single button. But, yeah, uh, presumably at some point. I mean, I think most of these things are like projects they're working on the side with an intern anyway. It's not like... Uh, oh, no, they're, it's it's they're like their... It's their it's, it really seems like they give their... Um, employees like free reign like hey design a cool toy yeah. and if, if it's dope we're gonna chuck it up on stage and see how people feel about it well you know i wonder ever ever since uh adobe sensei sensei so how, how do you say it whatever sensei. it's yeah. magical uh, machine learning world happened i mean that's been how many years now that we've been hearing that term it's it hasn't been very many has it no Two. you know what i I am really surprisingly underwhelmed by their well AI. What what I was going to where I'm going with that is I wonder is there really some magic AI yeah something under the hood or is it just hey let's come up with something cool okay that's I, I think cool. it's a let's marketing. call that Sensei Sensei yeah I think it's a marketing umbrella right I mean I could be totally wrong but you know ultimately Nvidia these days is is driving a lot of this stuff and. There are a handful of machine learning uh, libraries that people all across the world are using. Now, presumably, Adobe has some kind of base code, but at the end of the day, what what really matters isn't the the, the software that is driving your AI. It's the data sets you're feeding into it, and then how you're uh, 
programming and, and assigning them. So you could have the most amazing pipe for doing machine learning, but if you're not feeding it the right data sets and training it correctly, it's it's kind of meaningless. So that that's the thing that I, I think is very much got to be a marketing exercise just yeah i mean i i do remember them talking like so i'm i'm with you i think it probably is just like an umbrella term for all of their ai stuff because you know i can't imagine that sensei for um premiere is the same thing as sensei <coughs> pardon me sensei within uh audition or whatever yeah. but i do remember them bringing up on stage during one of the presentations that they do take effort because they're they're trying to lead this charge with um, content office authenticity, um, with this kind of like opt-in thing with Twitter and the New York Times, where it will show you uh, who took the photo, if it was edited, what edits were done to That's it, cool. and as yeah. a start, yeah, and they, it was kind of a they brought it up a bunch, but it did seem kind of like a footnote. I don't even think I wrote about it, which is my bad. But um, they, yeah, that's I do why you're on the podcast. Saying, yeah, yeah, I do remember them saying, hey, let me hang uh, it up. That they. Uh, were were trying to work on on using data sets for their various programs that were um all shortcut and say ethical mm-hmm. like they're trying they're being very mindful of of the type of data they're feeding into these things so well, there's that one of the big problems all of these guys have is i mean it, you know on the open source side it is mind-boggling some of the stuff machine learning's doing and i'm always a little surprised by how little of it does make it into things like photoshop and Premiere and Audition. But I think one of the big problems is they don't actually own these massive public data sets. So you can, you know, as an open source kind of non-commercial experimenter or, you know, as someone at a university, you can download Google's database of faces and start doing amazing facial recognition stuff, but you don't actually own the data set. And, And Google doesn't necessarily have full clearance, or at least, you know, they're not going to give full clearance for all those faces they've got in their database because it's their data. And so part of the problem is you can train these things, but actually collecting proprietary data that you own and you can license with your product, that's a, that's a tougher task. And I think that holds back some of the commercial implementations of some of this stuff. Well, I'm going to be naive here and not be a naysayer like Damien's being about all this <laughs> stuff and say that, you know, I think Adobe is a little bit unique in that all the products they have in this creative space, there's not anybody else who really has so many products under under the same roof in the creative space. So I'm I'm thinking, wondering, hoping maybe they do have some proprietary magic that they constantly work on. And, you know, maybe they do get some public data sets to be able to feed in and stuff like that. But I don't know. I'm, 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 I think that maybe this is their own thing and they're, this is, this is legit. And it's more than, it may be a marketing term, but there's more behind the marketing than just the word sunset. And they're, they're really doing stuff under the hood like we haven't seen in our film. I mean, you know, Apple's not throwing that stuff into Final Cut. It's not in Ad, going into Avid. You know, I know that Blackmagic purports to be doing some AI kind of stuff, but no one's doing that to the degree that, that Adobe is. Correct yeah, me I if think, I'm wrong. No, I think, I think there's definitely, I mean, you know, when I say Sensei's a marketing term, I think they probably do have a core code base that, that, that is shared across, even between audio, video, and uh, image processing apps. Uh, but again, that's a pipeline through which you train your machine learning data sets and things. And uh, I can't imagine it's all that different, especially because 
so many people, and you know, Nvidia really right now are the the kings in this game in terms of getting the hot, getting to the bare metal, and in, in terms of driving the hardware, pumping uh, neural networks through. And so most people are actually working pretty tightly with the CUDA uh, libraries and and with Nvidia. And so I'm sure Adobe has their own secret sauce, but I, I, I find it hard to believe that it's that profoundly different from what the rest of the industry is doing. But to your point, Scott, they're definitely the ones that are making an effort to push there. And I, I, I'm just honestly industry-wide a little surprised because there are things I can do with the open source tools today. Like uh, just a couple of weeks ago on PVC, I posted a little, you know, 20 line Python script that automatically rotoscopes for you. And it's, it's not bad, you know, for Temporoto, uh, but we don't even see that in any, any of the products yet. And that's the sort of thing that's a little surprising to me. Like that should just be an after fix. It should be in, well, the, uh, well, the Roto, you know, was the have, Roto brush not that? Was that yeah, not? That's horrible. <laughs> I no, mean, it's, they do. They, last year they did um, promo a tool that did exactly that. I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so was it a sneak peek or was it? In yeah, the, it was yeah. a sneak. So my my assumption is that they are still working because that was by far the number one thing in the because they they didn't do it this year, but they'll do a thing called uh, sneaking the sneaks, which is like a press press room version where we get the same um, presentations, but it's like you know there's twenty of us and we get to ask questions and stuff. Right. And uh, by far the auto rotoscoping thing, like borderline, got a standing ovation. Um, and they were like, "Yeah, we figured that would be kind of important." <laughs> so yeah. they do have it, and um, right, you know, well, it's a, it it's a tough on. one, and and again, it really comes down to the data sets. You just got to feed so much. This is high quality roto. This is ground truth, and the computer needs to recreate this. And I I just think it's a matter of probably three to five years before we can replace most of the roto that we're having to spend a lot of money on right now. Yeah. Well, but I don't. I don't are you, are you uh, kind of coming from the place of like, oh, no, they're going to automate Roto? Or are you on no. the team like, no, oh, let's no, get rid I'm, of this immediately? Oh, my gosh. The amount of Please automate hours, Roto. days of my life that have been lost to, lost to Roto. And then even, uh, even the expense, even outsourcing it, it's still turnaround times. And it's just a headache. Uh, totally. Because, yeah, yeah so, I, just, I just wonder how many people – because there there's a gray area where some people um, likely think, oh, you know, these programs are coming from my job. And then the other half were like, my job is not dependent on this one specific tool. You know, I've got larger aspira aspirations or what have you. Well, yeah, yeah and so, certainly be a, an arrogant uh, America-centric worker. Uh, all of that work's gone overseas now anyway, pretty much for us. So, sure. uh, so America certainly wouldn't suffer. Now, that's not to say that there aren't a lot of other markets that would. Uh, but... You know, we can move on other things. There's always plenty of other stuff to be done. I'm from yeah. the camp that we're asked to do uh, in the post productions so much more for so so much little, so much less money and less yeah, time these exactly. days. So I'm like, you know, every time I go to the essential sound panel and I do like an auto match on my on my audio, I'm thinking, okay, that's maybe in a, in a small way that's some kind of AI working underneath there the, to do something that I used that used to take more effort. So I'm like, yeah, give me make a make life easier. Well, you know, well, I'm, I'm sure some of those technologies will, will, will see them in the next couple of years and we will be happy. Uh, speaking of technology, they showed Photoshop on the, I mean, not didn't show it. I downloaded it the, the, the day of Photoshop on the iPad. And Illustrator. Yeah. And yeah, they, that one's not shipping yet. They did, uh, they did show that one. That, actually that one looked kind of, 
I, I, Illustrator is kind of a real love-hate with me, and I used to be a graphic designer, and I loved it and hated it back then. It was, watching them do it with their fingers on, on, the, on the iPad, I thought that seemed to be a good place for, for a fun place for Illustrator. Um, so have you played with the Photoshop on the iPad yet? Um, a little. Because, I mean, what I've heard... I, <laughs> I mean, just long enough heard. to be like, download it, create document, you know, yeah. do it. Look, there's all those tools that look like Photoshop. And um, and they are. It looks very... It, it seems to do a lot of stuff. I mean, I don't... I, I, I the think, word on the street is it's missing a lot of stuff that should have been there in a 1.0. Um, so I'm curious. I But obviously, you, you haven't had a chance to really dig in. No, I mean, I've got... You got layers. You got... there's The, the tools are all there. It looks very similar. I, I'm sure there's got to be limitations to a touch device in, the, in, a, in a program that complex because, you know, Photoshop is incredibly, incredibly deep and incredibly yeah. complex. And there are things that I think would just never translate to, I mean, the thing, the thing is had decades of development for a mouse yeah. on a desktop. I just can't yeah. imagine that. Um, but, you know, I mean, if it does half of it, I mean, that's better than, I go back to like, that's better than none. Well, and to your point, the, the vast majority of, users are only using a fraction of the tool set anyway. So if that's in there, uh, it may be enough. Like, for example, a, a video guy, uh, that may be enough, right, in terms of what video people tend to be using it for. Yeah. Yeah, I, I love the idea that I could, you know, I could hand it to an artist in the suite and say, hey, jump on there and, and, and create me some graphics or, you know, while I'm doing other stuff. And then and I, I have not yet tried to take a Photoshop on iPad document and open it on the desktop, but obviously that has to be, I mean, I'm sure that you can do that because if you can't, that would be bad, but that's yeah, it just be, saves regular PD, uh, PSDs. Yeah. That's, I think it's kind of a, that's um, kind of cool. I mean, that's, that's something people have asked for for a while because we had what four five, six different Photoshop um, apps on the iPad, but they've been, they, they were sort of specialty apps to do like, you know, photo or I can't even think of what some of them were, but they were, like little bits of Photoshop in their own app, but it makes right. sense to try to make it, you know, and maybe, maybe, and, and they, um, Kenny, they may have said this, is it the power of these newer iPads that has allowed them to do this? Or do they just realize that everybody was going to keep asking and they did it to shut everybody up? Uh, you know, I, I, I'm going to assume that it's the hardware power. They didn't specifically say, uh, or at least I don't remember, but, um, yeah, I mean like, you know, I, Every every tablet, every phone is just becoming a, a little laptop. You know, like my Chromebook is is less powerful than my phone than my Pixel three A. That's you amazing. know, so uh, at least I think. Um, so it's just like I was asking them, like, "Hey, are you are you ever going to put Premiere Rush on the Chromebook?" And they were all just kind of like, "We're uh, thinking about it." You know, <laughs> all right. um, you know, it, all those like, programs are supposed to be, uh, I, Pat Palmer said like all those sort of programs specifically rush, but I, I am going to extrapolate them out to the other ones are sort of on ramps to the other programs. Like you're either, um, you know, pencil to paper is always going to be where the creativity flows most freely. So if you can get a, a iPad for drawing, then that's a much more, um, analog version yeah. of what you're doing. And then you can bring it up on the full software on your computer to, deal with uh, more completely, you know? Sorry, you were saying. No, I, I was just going to say as a broader thing, um, I, I got to say, I'm a, I'm a, you know, I guess I'm the negative guy this this time around on the show, but I'm a little underwhelmed by the general uh, feature release updates. I, I, I have this thing where, you know, it seems to me like ever since Adobe's gone to subscription, and I think the same has happened with Autodesk, 
there's no there's no desperate need to release a whole bunch of new features. Um, and you know, back when you were paying for your upgrades, if there weren't some cool new features in the thing, you might skip the upgrade. Now there's like there's no kind of hard like oh crap, we've got to get some features out the door or we're going to lose major revenue this quarter. Uh, when you're on a subscription, that's like, ah, oh, it's not quite ready. We'll wait till next year. And I just, you know, I don't know that if I had to go back to, what was it, CS4 before the subscription, if there are many features that I actually feel like I'm missing. I don't know. Is that just me or? Well, in Premiere, well, it's, my God, it's. Okay, well, Premiere, that's a good point because I've not lived in there, so. Premiere gets crazy updates. The thing I will say is I was interviewing um, the gentleman who uh, invented After Effects. And I'm skipping on his name right now. I keep on wanting to say Tim Smith, but is that it? I can't remember. Um, is it Snell? Tim, Tim Snell? Tim, well, no, 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 Tim no, no, Smith no. might be from Canon. I interviewed a bunch of people all at the same time. Anyway, dude who invented After Effects. Um, yeah. He was saying that when they were on the um, yearly release schedule, their biggest competitor by far was themselves. They were constantly having to come up with, oh crap, you know what's the what's the tentpole feature that's going to get people to buy mm -hmm. CS5, CS6, yep. and it kept them from focusing on smaller details because they always had to go like, oh no, we need we need a highlight feature. So now with the subscription service, he argues, uh, it allows them to when they have a good idea, work on it until they can release it, and it's not full of bugs, which I know is a dangerous thing to say, um, versus getting it out there so that they can yeah. get a bunch, you know, more money out of us. And I see the argument there. I just don't know if it really translates. I mean, you know, it, it, I, I'm all for stability, honestly. Uh, much rather have stability than a couple of new features I rarely use. Uh, but, you know, it just makes me wonder. Like, I look at uh, side effects who create Houdini, which is uh, one of the high-end 3D applications, and every year they're coming out with amazing new stuff. Uh, and then you've got Maya sitting there in 3D Studio Max that barely seemed to to tick over. And, uh, you know, I, I feel with Adobe, you know, After Effects kind of took a step back for a while there because the engine, they gutted the engine and half the RAM previewing and things weren't working right. And I think, you know, hopefully with this release, they finally got things back up to a real solid speed and efficiency. But... Um, you know, I, I don't. I mean, hey, it'd be great to be one of the engineers, right? You wouldn't have to have the three months of your life just living in terror of getting a release deadline over. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know, Scott. Have you got any thoughts on that? Uh, you know, just looking at it from um, the video apps, After Effects, and, and, and Premiere, I I I like the subscription model because it is so much for so little. In yeah, a sense. That's now, true. I know. I know. There's been people who've done cost analysis and said, "Hey, you know, if you if you bought the uh, Creative Suite, the big box version, and bought the update every year, then you are saving money with the subscription. If you bought it every other year, every three years, then you're definitely spending more with the with the subscription." But I mean, there's just a sheer volume of stuff you're getting in the Adobe Suite. That's just, I mean, it, even though Resolve Free is an amazing, this, if you utilize everything that Adobe has to offer, my God, you're getting you know, so much, so much stuff. And if you're, you know, let's yeah. say you're in a little creative shop and it's just the two of you and you've got someone doing print web stuff and you got someone doing video for, you know, one, for that one subscription, you're, you're kind of using everything there. And I, I think that's pretty amazing. But what, you know, scares me is the fact that subscriptions are, they're never going to reduce the cost of it. It's always going to keep going up and it, you know, yeah. it hasn't gone up a whole heck of a lot over the years, but it's going to go up 
and it's going to go up, you know, we have this conversation, you know, a decade from now, who knows what it's, you know, what it's going to cost. And that, that scares me a little bit. Well, and I've noticed they've kind of gone to the cable company model where, you know, it comes time for me to renew and they say, okay, it's going to be 50 bucks a month now. And yeah. if I say, if I say, you know what, I, I don't want to pay that, especially because I often have access to uh, clients, you know, ac- uh, licenses or whatever. So I'll say, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to pay right now. And then two weeks later, I get an email. Uh, what about 30? And then, the, then they'll have some, uh, some check guy come online and say, hey, what have we did for 25? Yeah, and they like, definitely want to keep, like, keep customers. Yeah. Yeah. What I mean, that, well, you can just abuse that system, right? Just tell them you're going to yeah. quit every year and then wait for them to. <laughs> well, drop I, the price yeah, that, I guess they're counting on the fact you can't live without it for a month. Um, I guess if you just want to be a liar and go to hell, <laughs> then that's, you know, fine. True. true. Well, well, I'm saying you're, if you're going to complain about money, like there technically there are options. You know, like I come from the, from the single, uh, you know, I'm, I'm my own shop. So I, yeah. I use almost all two or three of the Adobe products every day. Like it's not, yeah, um, yeah. it's not really a question for me. Also, I looked it up. His name was David Simmons. Oh, who invented after. I wonder if, you I'm, know, I wonder um, if I'm I, kin to him. Oh my gosh. I had no idea. <laughs> I never even got on the beta. Now that's how you get a discount. He could be that rich old uncle you've been waiting for uh, an inheritance from. I hope I can meet yeah. him someday. Uh, you so, know, I, I, I'm with Scott real quick though. I will say I like, I used to upgrade every other year. Uh, and, even so, I think I think it's a bargain just because uh, you know I don't have to feel guilty about downloading a 30 day, day trial of Illustrator every time I need to do some Illustrator work. You yeah, know? yeah. Uh, so it's it's a good it's a good setup. I mean, there's no doubt that there are those that don't like it. There's those those that are going to complain about subscription, and that's just it's it's inevitable. And there are those that um, don't make, use it for to make a living, and they're going to complain because they really are spending. You know, a lot of money, maybe unnecessarily, but there are there are other options out there. Um, yeah, those affinity products look sound like they're pretty good for those people. Yeah, yeah. You, are, yeah. you got Resolve. I mean, there's a good example right, Resolve, right there. Yeah, Resolve, I mean, so the Apple Echo system. You know, get get in into Motion and um, and Final Cut. You've got a good, you know, fantastic tools right there. Um, talking about subscription, so what was the deal with uh, Foundry? They had a sort of everything in the cloud, and did they discontinue that this week? Yeah, so Athera, I think that's how you pr- pronounce it, uh, was their uh, attempt to create a completely cloud-based, uh, mainly for visual effects, but a cloud-based post-production experience where you could have your Chromebook, for example, not, not likely using a Chromebook, but uh, they would, they, <laughs> well, you know, just in terms of screen real estate, but yeah. they would uh, house all of the hardware, GPU acceleration, you know, 30 core beasts of machine, Xeon processors, all in the cloud. You upload your data, and the the, the attraction was, now, NukeX or Nuke Studio costs around 10,000 bucks, then you pay 1,500 to two grand a year just for the privilege of keeping your maintenance contract in check. Hmm. Uh, so the idea was, hey, if you're only on there for an hour, you're only gonna pay for an hour. If you have a job that lasts three weeks, you're only gonna have to pay for that three weeks worth of access to the box. And uh, so they they actually saw it as a place where freelancers and mom and pop places could actually thrive because rather than having to drop 10 grand for license, bang, you just, you, you got a two week job, you use it for two weeks. And, uh, you know, it was interesting when they first announced it, I just thought this thing's gonna collapse. <laughs> I just couldn't imagine 
anyone going for it. And evidently, that's kind of what happened. I mean, I think the two big problems is, number one, uh, no one gets clearance to put data like that in the cloud. You know, if I'm working on a high-end feature film like a Marvel movie or a Warner Brothers movie, they're not going to let me go and randomly put content on the cloud regardless of how secure everyone assures them it is oh, and then sure. number then number two you're you're completely at the mercy of your internet connection now those of us who are on fiber lines where it's pretty reliable i can't remember the last time i went down but there's still certainly a nervousness uh about well what if that happens what if it's two in the morning and i got to deliver at six on a feature film that's doing picture lock tomorrow night and my internet goes down and I don't have access to all of my data that I've been working on for the last three months. Yeah. And so I think all of those things killed the project. And it, it's just an interesting indicator of the fact that for as much hype as there has been about the cloud for the last 10 years, it's, it's a really tough sell for the, for the whole sort of full picture. Well, is there a, Oh, sorry. No, go ahead. I was going to say, is there a, um, uh, like I suppose a free version of that software. Like, how do you learn it before you have to rent it for? Weeks well, I think it? it was pretty turnkey in that they give you the client, and it's just like using, uh, you know, Windows Remote Desktop or something. You just kind of click, and you've got Nuke, you got Maya. I don't know if right. they had any video editing apps. I think they may have. Um, I don't, I I don't mean, think, so, and I don't think they did have any video. I don't, not like not well, actual edit. Like well, they do. I mean, they, they they do have something like a flame. I say so I don't think it was just uh, Foundry products, but their Nuke Studio is kind of like a a smoke where it has a a timeline and playback. Um, so right. I but I just don't know if whether whether you could put Premiere Pro on it or not. Well, um, my my main question was just like if if there isn't so like I've never used Nuke. Um, you know, I learned how to use the other programs that I use either through school or as a child being. Uh, a man of the seas, if you will, and uh, which um, actually, uh, what's his name? Goodness, David Simmons said it was a net benefit. Read that article; it's funny. Um, but yeah, like if you don't know how to use Nuke, how you know how do you justify spending that much money on any length of rental? You know. Well, that's why you get a movieello.com where you get free training for all of that stuff. Oh, jeez, <laughs> um, nailed it. Yeah, it's uh, you know the other one that's interesting. I've forgotten the name of the company, but there is a company that creates uh, that that ma manufactures PCI cards that are dedicated to streaming your desktop, and so uh, they bypass a lot of the problems you get with um, graphics cards where they don't work with remote desktop and stuff. And so that would be one way that you could do it. You know, I've got a a high end machine that I constantly remote what? into. Um, and so in theory, you could set up your own version of this uh, just by buying one of these cards. And then it does a really efficient hardware compressed stream of your desktop to wherever you are in the world. Um, so I, I've been interested to try out one of those cards and see how that really works. But um, that, that could be a real option if you wanted the ability to do this, didn't want to trust your data to someone else. Because at that point, the data stays at your facility. It just happens to be in another part of the city or the world where you're working. Um, so there are options out there. Well, we don't have to worry about 
foundry. I mean, they seem to be healthy and doing well. This this particular yeah. uh, model didn't didn't catch didn't on. Pan out. But I know there's been a lot of talk. I know Avid's been exploring the idea of remote cloud work uh, for quite a long time. So a lot of people have been looking at it, and I have a feeling a lot of people will see the news of what happened with Athera with Foundry and go, yeah, let's just put that on the back burner for another five years. You know, I think everybody's probably experimenting with different ideas and things. You you get all this stuff about the cloud, and I was at NAB New York and talking to some providers about the cloud services they provide, which is, uh, you know, put put all your video in the cloud and edit right from the cloud. And, you know, I think it's just, it's, it's still shaking out the brave new world yeah. of whatever the cloud actually is. But um, <laughs> no one's really quite sure still, good. right? <laughs> no, I don't think they, um, I don't think they do. You know, I mean, you've got creative cloud, Adobe, um, Adobe Creative Cloud, but you know, they have, uh, I believe they have dropped CC from like the names of, of the products. Like Premiere is no longer called Premiere Pro CC. It's just called Premiere Pro. So they've, you know, I think they've, they've kind of dropped that from the name. So I don't know if that yeah. sort of gives you a little bit of a um, indicator of what, you know, what they think about the, and, and the cloud is still big because there's certainly stuff that you can do with their cloud services, but I don't think it's as front and center as um, maybe it was when they came up with the name. Which, which is a sidetrack is one of the truly frustrating things about the subscription model is just if you've got older files, knowing what version they're going to work with and, you know, having to always promote every, every uh, project file to the latest version of Premiere or whatever. I always find that a little bit frustrating, especially Premiere seems to be yeah. quite quirky with uh, project corruption sometimes. So. Well, i tell you what I did uh, when, when this new 2020 came out, I, I, Added the auto frame. I, I took some audio up to plus 15 dB because that's one of the new features. And then I did one of those cloud project downgrades and moved it back to 2019. And in 2019, your, your plus 15 audio just is back down to six plus six dB. And what happens, the same thing that happens when you send a Premiere project to someone that doesn't have a third party filter installed, you can see the name of the filter in the effects controls. It just says offline. So, you know, and that was always one of their things where, hey, you know, these these new features don't work with old versions, so we can't make them backwards compatible. But I right. think that that's, you know, I think they I think they probably can if they really try. It's just a matter of new stuff won't be, um, they won't be available for you in the old version. And that's, you know, that, that's, you know, I would have thought that maybe the plus 15 audio would make things crazy unstable, but the project opened, it played back, it didn't, yeah, that's good. It didn't crash. Um, I, I'm, not for, gonna, uh, I'm not gonna do that as a regular practice, <laughs> I can tell you that, yeah. but. For auto reframe, um, from what I could see, it actually makes keyframes, and then you can just delete the effect when you opened it up in the old program. Did yeah. all the keyframes copy oh, that's over? Cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's just it's just motion keyframing once once it adds them. Now the effect is still applied. You can go in and have it reanalyzed. You can change sort of the you know there's there's a, a motion pop up that says you know faster slower. Um, right. But the keyframes are there because once they're written as motion keyframes, then you know, as far as I can tell, they're just that's what they are. There's just a you know a ton of them depending on. And did did you play on. with the effect much? Yeah, I used it on a job. Yeah, I, did, yeah. I have too. It's good. I I used the I used the pre build on the on a job that I couldn't oh. tell anybody. I just looked like I was good at keyframing. <laughs> Man, he's so smart. Um, you know, speaking of events, Kenny, tell us quickly about the Sigma FP. You went to launch of that, and that little Sigma FP camera is getting a whole heck of a lot of buzz. Yeah, um, it's it's pretty nifty. I mean, it's you know it's the world's smallest uh, full frame camera. So if you're if you're the kind of person who really needs full frame, that does seem to be 
Uh, there are those people go. out there. Yeah, um, it is incredibly modular, like people said. Um, I ran into my friend Matthew Duclos of Duclos Lenses, and he had been using it for a few weeks. He actually had a, a like a, I suppose, a beta version. And then he recently got the the production version, and um, he was saying that he was having a lot of fun with it. Um, the nice things are like the cine mode and the and the photo mode are completely separate. So if you change you know settings in one, um, it doesn't affect the other. Uh, the image quality was really, really good. Um, even the, you know, sort of straight out of file, uh, straight out of camera, um, log type images looked good. Uh, the photos and the images I saw looked kind of contrasty, like micro contrasty, but that could easily just be the way that they were color corrected. Um, battery life, they said, if you're doing video, just stick to an external battery. We're not going to be able to put a big ass battery in this mm. thing if it's this small. Um, Does it get hot? No, no, it's got a big old heat sink on the back, so uh, it's, that's actually pretty decent. But the the main thing that people were getting excited about, oddly enough, was uh, the ability to use it as a director's viewfinder. And um, so what you would do is you just have, you know, you can use whatever, you know, PL or EF or what have you adapter and then put the lens that you're actually going to shoot on, you know, whatever video, movie you're shooting, on the FP, and then they give you a, a loop that you stick on the back and then you've got, and then they, in the menu, they've got frame guides for RE and Sony and uh, Red, and hopefully Canon coming up because I'm a Canon oh, shooter. But um, but they, who said it? Um, oh mercy! James one, one of the gentlemen. No, the, no, oh, man. We, he was just he just did the thing over at Film Tools. Phil Holland. Phil Holland was uh, really interested in it and was talking to uh, Matthew about it. And Matthew said that he tested it against uh, like a red, I believe. And the frame guides were exact. So they've figured that out. But, uh, Matthew was also saying that Duclos is going to be making a kitsch style, um, director's viewfinder handle. Cause right now the only thing that you can attach is like just whatever quarter inch, um, plug you want to chuck in there. Which is, uh, and this may be because I'm not a camera person. Is Sigma a known name in the camera world? They've been making their own cameras for a while, but they've not really. I mean, if you want to think of anything, if you want to think of Sigma as anything lenses, in, the, in right? the current world, it, yeah, it's always been lenses. But even before, you know, the past handful of years, they weren't really like, you know, they they, they were like the affordable option that was still pretty high quality. But, okay. you know, whatever. They were kind of a whatever, you know, it put them in with anyone else kind of lens manufacturer. And recently they've just absolutely been crushing it. Um, so I think their camera thing, especially now that they've made so the speak, alliance. Speaking with, of affordability, what's what's the price on this thing? Ooh, I want to say two thousand eighteen ninety nine. Okay. Ordered wow. today yeah. from uh, Film Tools, and you can. And you it go. comes with a forty five, a nice little forty five millimeter lens um, that that looked like it performed pretty well. Well, and, that's what's uh, that's the bonus, right? When you got a, a lens company, you're going to get a decent kit yeah. lens, hopefully. Oh yeah. Well, it seems like it's going to put a, be a neat little uh, thing in the market. And maybe that's what they're putting their stake down and say, hey, we're going to do cameras and do cameras well. Here's, here you go, full frame people. This is a, here's your tiny, affordable full frame. So, Yeah. It, I mean, they were really kind of, well, the gentleman who was uh, giving the presentation, uh, one of their ambassadors, was saying that really it, it shines. You can use it as an A cam, but it really shines as like a B cam. He, he said he shoots for, or used to shoot for Bear Grylls. And he was like, these FPs would would not break in the situations that I was putting other cameras in. That's cool. So I well, thought that was kind of cool. Let me tell you something. 
There's people that's going to buy that camera and that's going to be their A camera for their production company. You know it's happening. Oh, for sure. gonna, if it's shipping, it's happening. If it ain't shipping yet, it's going to happen when it ships. Yeah. Um, cool. Well, the only other event I can think of, the Final Cut uh, 10 Creative Summit started uh, the day we are recording this, but perhaps we'll have a little bit more of a chat uh, on that next week because that's that's an, a nice industry event. But other than that, I think that's about it for the week. Anything else you guys can think of that happened worth talking about? I guess I got not. Maybe right. four hours of sleep. Yeah, well, they were at forty-five minutes. This is over our. Uh, this is over our link. Oh yeah. Maybe like all right. Thing. So, all right, Kenny. Uh, thanks for reaching out and uh, chatting with us about and going out to those events. Yeah, glad and to be we'll, here. Yeah, we'll talk to you again soon when something cool comes along. Damien, we'll talk to you as well. And until all right. next time, uh, I don't. We don't have like a catchphrase that we should say at the end of every of every um, podcast. So we'll just say okay, goodbye. See y'all later. Bye. All right. All right.